Good day, Law Nation. I hope everyone is having a wonderful week. If you've ever wondered about outside-of-the-box ways to invest in real estate or even about investing in mobile home parks specifically, today is your day. We have an absolute expert in the mobile home park space with us, Mr. Ferdinand Neiman IV, but I just call him Ferd. He's also known as the MHP Lawyer. He's an owner, operator, and lawyer specializing in the mobile home park space. We're going to explore mobile home park investing and how you can diversify your portfolio and get involved. All right, all right, here we go. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Third, what do you say, man? Hey, Seth, how are you, man? Uh, doing great. Of course, of course. Thanks for coming on. Um, so let's just jump right in, man. Before you had your own firm, uh, tell us a little bit about kind of your past life and your previous law practice and, you know, what you loved about it, what you hated about it. Sure. So I used to work at a, a law firm called White Guys here in Kansas City. It was a boutique real estate firm. We did tax incentives, real estate development, land use zoning, municipal law, mostly real estate attorneys. Um, a couple of people did litigation, a couple of people did criminal, but very, I think they'll be the biggest real estate firm in town. It was a great, great firm overall. Um, had some good mentors there, but I, I liked the practice of law, but I didn't really love it. Want to be more entrepreneurial, do more real estate stuff, more business stuff. So one of our firm clients was a retail developer and I did a lot of tax incentive work for him. So he'd offered me a position to become his junior partner. And so I did that, went into retail development and redevelopment, did that for several years. I was doing MHP mobile home parks on the side for several years and uh, really have just focused all on MHP the last couple of years, but uh, still do a little law, but uh, really mostly an MHP active investor. Gotcha. Was there kind of like an aha moment at some point when you're working for that uh pretty decent sized firm where you're like, Hey, I need to start investing in real estate. Or were you always in? in well, I, I was, I've been in real estate. I was in real estate five years before I was an attorney. So I was always investing in real estate. Okay. On the side. So I did both. I mean, for the firm, the, the aha moments of you will be, you know, working for somebody else. So like now I still have my own law firm, but it's my law firm and I have other associate attorneys that can do some work for me. So now it's like, I'm, I'm still more of a business owner. And then I practice law kind of on the side, I say, versus at the law firm, you know, if you work, you work an extra 10 hours, work an extra 15 hours, you get maybe some bonus in the year. You don't get rights to it. You don't have control of your own schedule. So it's really just working for other people's account. And then, you know, I had supervisors too. So I, they'd say, Hey, we need you to do this component of the work. I was like, well, that was the, that was the grunt work. You know, I didn't want to do that part. You know, I wanted to where versus I work on the most challenging, uh, challenging work. So, you know, again, like I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I, I didn't love it. So, I wasn't looking for another job at the time, but I always thought maybe I'd do development and uh, the job opportunity came and I took it. Nice. Nice. So what's, what's your current practice look like as the MHP lawyer? The MHP lawyer. Well, I, you know, last year I didn't practice any law. Uh, six months ago, I didn't practice any law. I haven't, I haven't practiced law in several years really, but I saw a niche in the, in this field. So I'm, I'm been actively buying mobile home parks for about six years, but the pricing has gotten pretty high because a lot of people are realizing it's, in my opinion, it's the best asset class in any real estate uh, by far. And, and a lot of other people figured that out. A bunch of REITs figured that out. A bunch of private equity groups figured that out. So there's, there's literally billions of dollars of equity coming into the space. So it's pushing pricing. 
it's kind of through the roof. So it's harder to find deals. There's guys that have 10 full-time assistants, literally cold calling and direct mailing everybody in the country. And if anything on market gets priced out, says, man, I got all this knowledge, all this experience in this asset class. I mean, they're going to have to pay up, which I don't feel comfortable doing, or man, I gotta, maybe I can be part of the team. So I said, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of sophisticated people out there. And, you know, even these private equity guys, they're sophisticated on the finance side and on the operation side, but a lot of them are pretty green on MHP specific. So I said, I might as well be their lawyer. So I launched my law firm and my podcast six weeks ago, and I got 25 hours a day at work. So I've, I've hired a couple of attorneys this week to help do some of the blocking and tackling and CFA to help on the investor reporting and financial modeling and that kind of stuff. So it's, so it's, it's now it's like, okay, I've practiced enough law, you know, I got to practice more law, but it doing it, but enough to, enough to be dangerous, but ultimately would like to just own the law firm and be kind of chairman of the board and advisor, and then focus on my own projects, which I've also got some new projects that have come through, you know, quote the law firm. So we do everything, everything MHP, you know, from your, your LLCs, your PPMs, your title work, title objections, contracts, leases, zoning letters, financing documents, seller finance documents, uh, operational consulting, you know, financial financial underwriting, due diligence. I've pretty much done, I've got my retailer's license, my broker's license, my CCIM. So anything anything MHP, real estate, I've pretty much done. So I figured I might as well hang my shingle out there and, uh, you know, quote, practice law for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, seems like you found a really good niche and that's the key is niching down. I think so. So far, so yeah. good. So let's uh, rewind just a little bit. You know, what did that transition look like when you um, transitioned out of the firm, out of that big firm you were talking about, and then you did some um, retail development work, and then you transitioned all the way out of law for a little while. What did that look like? Was it all at once or, or a little bit at a time? Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it was all at once. But I mean, part of my, part of, when I left the law firm, I went to the retail developer, and I was kind of, a, you know, we were a small firm, but did some bigger, bigger projects. So I was kind of a little bit in everything. I was doing some project management, some leasing, some some uh, kind of political stuff, negotiation with municipalities, you know, development with you know overseeing some contractors and architects and working with city planners. But as part of what we did, we did tax incentive projects with so things like tax increment financing, tax abatements, community improvement districts. So there was a legal piece to that. Now, I didn't charge legal fees; it was for my own project. But some days I'd wear a suit, some days I'd wear jeans. Sometimes I wear a blazer, you know, it was depend on, it depends on what I was that day. Um, so it was, I still did a little bit of law, but it was probably the actual legal work was, a, we still hired, we hired somebody else to do the contracts and title work and stuff. I was focusing on, you know, finding and negotiating deals, but then did that and really just uh, left that a couple of years ago and been doing MHP uh, for the last two years or so. And there's, there's legal, I use my legal experience, if you will, on a regular basis, but as far as, you know, billing hours or, you know, sitting, I mean, I'm out in the field a couple of days a week, you know, um, or I'm out at a job site wearing jeans. So um, definitely different than the, the standard legal practice. And I like it a lot better. Yeah, I definitely don't miss uh, dressing up in a suit every single day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So what's your real estate story? I know your. I think your family is in real estate. You know, how did you get started? Well, I, I was, uh, after grad, I have an MBA, so after graduate school, during graduate school, I read a lot of books on real estate. And then I got interested in doing real estate. I had my securities licenses and I said, you know, I shouldn't be selling stocks and bonds. I should be, I should be in the real estate game. So it was, this was 2008, tough, uh, tough job market. 
so I ended up getting a job. It ended up being a good opportunity, but it was at Jackson County as a commercial real estate analyst looking to TIF projects and tax incentive projects. I did that, got promoted a couple of times, became, got involved in government, government affairs, became the director of economic development, the director of assessment, which is the county appraiser, while going to law school part-time and got involved in different aspects of real estate. And then during grad school, so before this, I was buying single family houses and duplexes and renovating, did some flips, did some buy and hold. Uh, my dad was my business partner, um, but we, I wasn't, my family wasn't in real estate. I guess I was in real estate first and then brought dad. Dad, dad was at a bank, bank got shut down. <laughs> so I so, said, hey, we started the you know, single family business together, but then he came on, quit his job. So he started doing full-time while I was practicing law. Gotcha. And he still does. We still work together full-time. I do the legal stuff myself, but he does a lot of the construction management, property management stuff and operational stuff as well. Nice. Sounds like you got a good team going on there. Um, what's the what's the first mobile home park deal that you got? What's that? What did that look like? How'd you find it? So it was in my hometown in Quincy, Illinois. You know, it was it's pretty hard to find mobile home parks. When you find them off market, they pretty much you, you talk you contact the seller, they pretty much say, "I'll never sell. It's a cash cow." So we there's like 20 mobile home parks within our within 25 miles of my hometown. So we contacted all of them, and all of them, most all of them said, "No way, I'll never sell." One of them said, maybe. So we said, well, let's tell us more. And we ended up, you know, paying retail price. I think we paid six ninety five. It was 695000 It was a 54 unit park. It was probably like 45 units full. So we, you know, submetered to water. We brought in more lots, filled it up, um, increased the rent a little bit, came, you know, fixed the roads, you know, put in some decor, professionalized management, basically. And we sold it to some private equity group two and a half, three years later for about 950. So it was just kind of a fix and flip, but um, the, the plan was to buy and hold it, but there's a lot of, a lot of upside there. So, you know, you know, so we did that and then uh, have done something similar business model several times and have some now that we're going to probably buy and hold and have some more that are intentional flips um, assignments, things like that. Yeah. And then and you said there were only a, you know, a number, a limited number within kind of your geographical range. I mean, mobile home parks are, are a limited commodity, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the, I mean, that's one of the benefits of them as opposed to say apartments, you know, I mean, if I've got an apartment at fifth and main street and there's an old building next door, you could buy the old building, knock it down and build a bigger, shinier, better apartment complex. So great. Now I've got tons of competition in my exact location with a superior product. The mobile home park business, that's nearly impossible. There are like 15 mobile home parks developed nationwide in a given year. And just as many are de destroyed to build Home Depots or hospitals or something. So it's pretty much to fix supply with a, a massive demand for affordable housing. So um, it's hard to find the existing ones, hard to get the hands on the existing ones, but you know, it's possible. You know, I'm under contract on three right now, but the ones that are, the big, you know, there's a lot of, there's some parks that are selling for 10 individual parks that are selling for tens of millions of dollars. Those are really hard to get the big, the big players. There's, there's several publicly traded REITs. They've, they've pretty much taken control of the, the 200 to 400 to 5,000 lot mobile home parks. Northwestern mutual just bought one for $95 million for a single mobile home park. Okay. So wow. like the, the cap rates, like a one, like I can't compete with that on price. So they, they, <laughs> yeah. they want it they'll pay for it. You know, it's, it's just a land. It's just like a, for them, it's a, a buy and hold, just like park the money diversification strategy. But for me, I need cash flow or I need wealth accumulation, things like that. So stuff that's on the open market, that's, that's a 
high dollar is going to sell at a, at a super premium. Gotcha. I actually didn't even realize they were building new mobile home parks. Where, where are some of the places in the country that are doing that? Well, it's, it's, it's going to be city by city specific. I mean, it's yeah. pretty tough. You know, I've actually, I'm going to Illinois on Friday. I got, I guess, tentative approval to build 14 more lots on one of my 90 unit parks. So I could expand it. But the, the reason I can do it is I'm in the county. So I'm just outside of town. So there's no zoning code. And then so the, 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 generally in, in a municipality, it's really hard from a zoning perspective and a permit perspective. You can, you can do it in more rural areas, but rural areas are typically less desirable for this, your lower class or lower income clientele because there's no public transit. And then to develop it, there's no public utilities. So you got to yeah. put in well water, septic sewer, or lagoon, and that's, not, that's expensive and not as desirable of a location. So development by its nature is pretty pretty infeasible. I've, I've, I know there's a few guys doing it. I don't personally, I don't have any clients that are doing ground up development. I have people all the time calling me, Hey, can we do ground up development in this city? I'm like, maybe not, but I don't know. Maybe not. I've got a, but I do have a, I do have a conference call today. One with a mayor who's asked me to, you know, help be a thought leader, if you will, on low income housing in her town. Yeah. So I'm going to propose building 250 lot mobile home parks, you know, but I'd still say it's a long shot, but you know, ask me if you, the day from now, I'll know better and I'll know if it's, it's realistic. For me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you have the space somewhere to do it, I mean, there's affordable housing shortages everywhere. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are some of the other, you know, positive things and uh, advantages to investing in a mobile home park? Um, I know a lot of people have kind of a stigma about them that they may not know a lot about them. So what, you know, what are some of the positives and the advantages? Yeah, but one of the advantages, like I mentioned, is a supply-demand gap. Another advantage is your, your tenant base is kind of sticky, as I like to say, because it costs about $5,000 to move a mobile home. So they're not really mobile. The average mobile home moves once, and that's from the factory to a mobile home park. And so by virtue of that, if the lot rent is 200 but the market rent is 500 you can push the rents. You shouldn't push them that fast to 500 but over 10 years, could you push them to 500 Yeah, you can push them rents at a considerably higher margin than other asset classes. Um, and unfortunately, there's, unfortunately, there's people that are doing that you know, really, really fast. And that's really giving the industry some people a bad name. And it's, and I wish they wouldn't do that, but they are. Uh, other other benefits, if you have no park-owned homes, just on the land, it's got a very low expense ratio, about 30% compared to say 50 for apartments. So low expense ratio. Uh, the other benefits, um, um, it's, it's a fragmented industry, meaning the big guys, the, the top 10, 100, the top 100 players, they only own about 10% of the industry. So there's there's still 90%, there's about 44,000 parks in the country. Recent estimates are like 7,500 of those are owned by people that have one or more, or two or more. So most of the, the operators are mom pa that built the park or second or third generation park, which means there's upside in the sense that you can have more professionalized management. And then also from a, you know, negotiation sophistication standpoint, there's upside there. Just it's just a lot, of, not as much competition. Now that is getting to be less and less true every day because there's more and more sophisticated operators jumping in. But those those are some of the key um, key benefits of the asset class. Cool. Uh, could you expand a little bit on maybe comparing, contrasting mobile home parks investing versus multifamily or single family? Yeah, well, I mean, single family. I feel like there's not there's just not the economies of scale. Um, I mean, you got 300 units, you got 300 roofs, you got 300 toilets. Um, multifamily is 
you know, there's more expenses and the tenants are not as sticky. Um, you know, if you up the rent, the tenant moves down the street. Um, if the tenant doesn't pay the rent, they jump, they jump on the 30th of the month and you don't get your rent and you got to fix it up. On a mobile home park, if the tenant doesn't pay the rent, you say, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna take your house, which is your entire net worth, and you have nowhere else you can go. So how about you just pay the rent? So as a result, collection rates, especially during this part of the, the benefit right now in the mobile home park space is, is COVID. The COVID has shined a light on it that it's, it's the best asset class from a collection standpoint. And also Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac have a lot of are lending more and more on mobile home parks because they because of the, st the stability. So, you know, like my collection rate is down compared to prior years, um, but not as much as other asset classes. So as a result, there's more demand for MHP. So my asset values are up because my, my cap rates are down. So um, just a little different, just from a management perspective, if you only own the land, you don't have to do park and home repairs. You don't have to do as much leasing turnover. You don't have to own the personal property. You need you need less of a maintenance staff. You just you push the snow and you mow the common areas. You know, it's very very minimal. Once stabilized, the other the other real benefit I should have said this earlier. Though, the, the, one of the key benefits of MHP, at least in the business model that I've been doing, is I buy parks that are of low occupancy. So say twenty out of eighty, let's say it's worth a million dollars. Uh, an apartment complex, if you get an 80 unit apartment complex, it's probably like six, 65 or 70 or 78 units full. Mobile home park, there's, it's often that you'll find 60 lots with no home on them. Well, you can go get your retailer's license, get, get in touch with the manufacturer. You can go buy the homes, bring them in, and then rent them or sell them on site. And as a result, over time, you have turned your 20 unit apartment complex into an 80 unit apartment complex. So you've increased your value considerably, but not just by that multiple but you also have more stabilized asset. You have more economies of scale, so less expense ratio. And as a result, you can push the value maybe five or six X where you, where you, I don't know where any other, any other asset class where you can, you can pull that off. Yeah. That's incredible. When you were telling me about some of the returns you were getting on some of your parks, yeah. I was blown, blown away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People ask me, can I invest? Like I have, I have a lot more people on my investor list than on my deal flow list, but yeah, I mean, it's not an, if you do an infill project like that, I mean, you could get an IRR as triple digits or, or even perhaps quadruple digits if you do it fast enough. And it's, it's, it's heavy lifting, but, but I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's been the benefit of the industry. It's, it's been outperforming other asset classes. Stabilized stuff is going to be more similar to apartments, maybe 100 to 300 basis points higher on an IRR, but not double, triple. You buy, if you buy a value, a heavy value add or heavy infill, yeah, you could do yeah heavy numbers on a rate of return but it's but not by just jacking the rent up you know it's like no you're doing it by just adding units so yeah um that's been the name of the game for me so it's, it's working really worked out really well so far cool are you currently uh syndicating deals or looking to syndicate deals i have yeah i have three deals under contract i'm probably going to syndicate one or two of them and then the others probably just be the last three deals have just been dad and me um, but with this man or contract, I'm going to diversify some funds and bring some people in. And then I'm close on one other one that would be a big, a big project. Um, I was like the second bidder, but I think the first guy will drop out. If that comes up, I'll do a syndication on that as well. Nice. Nice. Um, so, you know, folks that might be listening that are attorneys or doctors that are, you know, full-time employees and they don't have a ton of time. I mean, what's kind of some, some advice you'd give them? into getting started and in investing in a mobile home park or real estate in general? 
Well, I think in general, I mean, just figure out, are you going to be the, the limited partner or the general partner? If you still got a full-time job as a lawyer or as a doctor or something, it's probably better to be a limited partner. And then you just need it. The, the advice I would give is choose wisely, you know, pick a partner who's got like interest, you know, it's not just taking a bunch of fees and getting out of the deal. Um, I've always done recourse loans. I think that makes my investors happy. Like, you know, obviously I'd love a reading. I, I, I would love a non-recourse <laughs> loan. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm in the process of refinancing into a couple of those, but the time I buy it, to tell my investors, to tell my banker, like, yeah, I'm in and I'm going to sign on the note. Well, that lets them know I'm, you know, pretty pregnant on the deal. I'm not going away. So that's, a, that's a key thing. Look at the experience, but I mean, at no, I mean, none of us have experience on our first project. So that's, you know, it's kind of a catch 22, but from a, from an LP perspective, I would say just know who your partner is and then, you know, read your contracts, read your PPM, all this sort of stuff. And then if you're going to go active, then I think just, you know, get educated first. Um, you know, maybe, maybe get a position as a junior partner or like an intern first to um, learn the trade. If not, I say start small. I, I see a lot of guys right now in my space that are like buying 10 parks in their first year. And I'm just sitting here like, you have no idea how hard it's going to be to manage these. And the only way you're <laughs> getting 10 parks is because you're overpaying on right. nine, nine to 10 of them. You were, and then, and then when you have the operational problems, if your performer doesn't work, I see performers all the time where I'm like, I couldn't pull that business plan off. This guy is apparently from across the country on his first project with half my education. <laughs> hey, maybe he's going to do it, but I'll see this one on the courthouse steps in three years. Is kind of what I think. Yeah. He might be able to pull it off, but chances are mm, <laughs> he doesn't know, doesn't know what he's getting himself into. <laughs> um, what's one last golden nugget you have for our listeners? Um, again, keep it in, keep it in mind. Our, our, our listeners are attorneys or doctors or people that have busy jobs and they want to diversify out of the stock market and, you know, possibly into some alternative assets. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, part of me wants to say diversify. If you're going to be an LP, I would diversify with different promoters and, and in different asset classes. If you're going to be the general partner, I would just, I would narrow down your scope and your niche to just become an expert in that field. Like I don't, I don't dabble in hotels. I don't dabble in industrial. Um, you know, I've done legal work on that kind of stuff, but as far in the past, but as far as like, I don't I have zero investments in hotels, industrial, um, I'm selling out of my duplexes. I got a few duplexes left, but I would say just if you're going to be the GP, you know, figure out what you want to, what your what your role is on the team, and figure out what your your niche asset class is, and then just become an expert in that, and then and read and, and shadow people and, and study like crazy. That's great, man. And take, yeah. then take action. You know, obviously you, you can't sure. you can't have that. You can't make you know make money or make excuses. So at some point, you just got to take action. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think you and I are a little bit different because we have kind of the entrepreneurial bug, but a lot of attorneys are, you know, a little more conservative, you know, they're kind of stuck in their ways and they need a little <laughs> bit more of a nudge to kind of get over that hump and say, you know, there's other ways to make money other than just investing in your 401k or, you know, just working your nine to five, which is kind of a pipe dream. You're not going to work nine to five. You're going to be working a lot more hours than that. Right. No, I think I have a friend who's, who's getting close to leaving his big firm to come work in my small MHP law firm. So he'd still be practicing law, but part of the motivation for him, I think is if, if he looks down the, you know, the ivory tower of all these corner offices and all these, these big dogs, how many of them are happy you know, versus, you know, like right. I'm, I'm, I'm fatter, I'm older, I'm, I'm smoking more, <laughs> I'm drinking more, I'm on my third marriage. 
all I do is work and working for, you know, the man instead of my own account. I, I was always crazy. Bro. I was I, like, all of our clients were more, more wealthy than us. It's like, what are they doing? You know, and like, they're working half time. They're in at the beach half the time. It's like, they clearly have a passive, passive, or maybe it's an active, but they have a, you know, more of an entrepreneurial upside than just cranking. You can only work 24 hours a day. So, you know, how are you going to, don't get paid by the hour if you can. Yeah. You nailed it, brother. I mean, that's what I saw when I was working at big law firms were just, you know, these older guys were just slaving away still. And you're like, man, what, what are you doing? I know you're making so much money and you've made so much money in your career. It's like, at some point you've got to call it and step away. And, you know, I, I think you get caught up in that lifestyle and you've lived it for so long and you get really good at it and you don't know anything else. I think, I think attorneys more than most people, it becomes the work becomes your identity. If you, if you ever meet an attorney at some like a cocktail party or after church or something, hi, I'm Ferd. Hi, I'm, I'm Bob. I'm an attorney that practices this like, as opposed to like, hi, I'm Ferd. Uh, I'm a Catholic husband and father of three. I live in Kansas City. I like to read books, play with my kids and, you know, play sports. Oh, by the way, I'm a real estate attorney by trade. You know, it's like <laughs> to most attorneys have the, they start with the job and then it's like, um, the job, and I get, I get it, you know, and it's like, they put a lot of time and effort to it. It's, it's kind of a prestigious profession, but I feel like that can become a curse becomes like the golden handcuffs where you're, you're at your desk slaving away forever. And maybe you like it, that's fine, but it's like, you know, you're going to wake up one day or maybe not. And then it's, it's too late to do something different. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree with all that, man. I mean, you just start identifying with being, you know, an attorney and even, you know, doctors and engineers and folks that just their job just becomes who they are and that's it. And they don't even know themselves outside of that. Yeah. It's time for the Freedom Four. All right, man, let's jump into the Freedom Four. So in an alternative universe where you weren't in real estate, what would you be doing? You know, I like what I'm, I like what I'm doing. So, I mean, I, if I wasn't yeah. in real estate, um, I don't know. I have, I have some interest in politics one day. I have some interest in just, you know, right. you know, doing some ministry work and being kind of at home with my family. But right now I'm too, too high strung to slow down. Um, yeah. so right now it's, I'm, I'm just hustling, hustling in the MHP space and hustling a little bit in the legal space. And, uh, so far so good. Yeah, it's tough for some people to answer that question because they're loving what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, this is—I mean, this is my ideal job. I mean, I don't—I'm not, I'm not employable. You know, I've—I've <laughs> I've thought, you know, one of these—I've thought at some point one of these REITs that's going to call me and say, "Hey, you want to be the regional manager of our, you know, this portfolio on MHP?" And I'm going to be like, "No, but we'll get, it's going to be a big number to get me to do it." No, I mean, it would have to be a big number in right. the short term to, to get me to do it. And I was like, no, I really don't want to, you know? So, so I'm like, this is where I want to be, you know? Yeah. Stay strong, man. When they come and knock and stay strong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's my, wife best... will be, my wife will veto that. Gotcha. What's the, what's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? Well, mind, I mean, I try to, I try to sit and think I've got a, you know, a thinking chair, you know, I sit and pray there in the morning or think there and just kind of reflect and sit back or I'll just sit in my hot tub and just relax. I like to read, I read, you know, I read, I read every day. Um, as far as healthy, I exercise pretty regularly. Um, I'm not the healthiest eater by any means. Um, so I'm trying to get healthier. I just quit, quit coffee three days ago. So it's kind of, uh, Whoa. Giving, trying to give up, I'm on a cleanse of my wife. So 
you know, alcohol, no caffeine, no meat. Uh, so that's, that's going to be a short <laughs> fad, but, uh, but anyway, so I, I think, I think I need to be healthier. So that's why she's, she's pushing me to do that. I want to buy, I want to buy a hot rod and she told me no. And I said, what if I do this cleanse with you? She said, maybe. So, so How long I got is the cleanse. 21 days. So All right. I'm already shopping, you know, so I don't think she's going to let me, but, um, I want to buy a car. All right, man. Good luck with that. I guess it's only a short amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It was, it was, I'm not, I'm not sold that I'm going to like become a vegan or anything like that, but she's like, maybe you will. I'm like, oh, maybe I will. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> By the way, I need floor mats for Christmas. And she's like, I'm not buying you floor mats. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. <clears throat> uh, where were you at five years ago and where do you see yourself in your business five years from now? Five years ago, I was at the law firm. So uh, right about five years ago. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I was, a, yeah, still at the White House law firm where I see myself five years from now. I mean, it's going to depend on the, the conglomeration of the MHP space. I, I foresee, you know, I, I told people two or three years ago, like I won't be in this field five years from now because all the big guys are going to have gobbled everything up. Now that I'm doing legal work, I think I've extended my lifespan in the MHP world, perhaps indefinitely, uh, or as long as I want to. So, um, I foresee five years from now being an advisor on MHP projects to big, big entities, but probably, probably not owning as many probably have, will have sold, sold when uh, the conglomeration uh, effect happens, but who knows, may just, I may just retire, so to speak in five years and just passively invest in other people's projects. So I don't have to work. Um, I don't see that ever happening personally, but it, I mean, I think it'd be viable. I mean, if I, so we'll see if I want to do it at the, when, when that time comes. Gotcha. Cool, man. Well, I know you're mostly on the active side, but you know, some of those projects obviously spit off cash flow for you. So how has passive income made your life better? Yeah, passive income is, I mean, it's obviously it makes it better. Where it's like there's, there's money coming in that you didn't really, you don't feel like you work for. It's like, Oh yeah, cool. I just got, I just got a check here. Um, yeah. I typically don't do the LP side. So I, I mean, I haven't taken a paycheck in years, you know, so I just, I just kind of funnel, funnel all the money right back into the deal. Now that, now that I'm practicing law in the last two months, there's money coming in, but I'm just, I'm just reinvesting that to, you know, more marketing, more people um, looking to get buying an office building for the team and that kind of stuff. So I've really been living off savings and, and then now, and then now I do have some massive investments too, that send me checks, but um, I'm, I'm not really the, pa I'm not the passive personality, but if I, when I, when I sell all my active stuff, get it all fixed, you know, do some refinances or sell them, then I'll probably sit back and just uh, enjoy the ride, if you will. But right now I'm enjoying, enjoying the journey on the active side. There you go. All right, man. I really appreciate you coming on today. What, uh, where can our listeners learn more about you and, and uh, get a hold of you? My website is www.themhplawyer.com. You can find me on there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on other social media stuff as well. But really, that website's great. I got, that's where my podcast, the Mobile Home Park Lawyer podcast is. A lot of people find me through there. And then I'll be doing other speaking engagements and things like that. Um, conferences coming up. But if the website will have all that stuff on there. So that's the best place. All right, brother. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ferd. All right. Thanks, Seth. Have a good one. You too. All right. That was incredible. Ferd is the authority in mobile home park law and investing. I love how Ferd was able to create freedom through investing in alternative assets, namely mobile home parks, something a little outside of the box that we may not think of right off the bat.
If you'd like to learn more about passive investing, go to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and get our free passive investing guide in alternative assets. See you next time. Enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.